As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder, America's foremost labor relations podcast, brought to you this week by Dogecoin. That's right, folks. Dogecoin. Hold the line. Uh, I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, and we have CBA talks to talk about. Um, MLS and the MLSPA, they're going to be doing this for another week. Uh, MLS announced this morning that it had extended its deadline, which was... Thursday night um, at some time that was never entirely clear uh, to most people. But in the wee hours of Thursday night, Friday morning, on Friday, they ex- they announced that they'll extend that deadline another week. Um, they also announced that they are not cool with the player's compromise offer of extending the CBA by one year. Uh, they are holding firm to their stance that they need to extend the CBA by two years. And they said that if a deal is not reached by the new deadline, which is 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, February 4th. I guess we're going to have to wait to record next week's show until Friday, too, Paul, potentially. <laughs> um, but if there's no, if there's no deadline, if there's no agreement reached by that deadline, the MLS Labor Committee, which is composed of a group of owners who were not entirely sure which owners are on that Labor Committee, they unanimously voted to lock the players out if an agreement is not reached by that deadline. So that's where things currently stand. MLSPA has made an offer. The league sort of reiterated their previous offer, but hasn't formally made a new proposal to the MLSPA. So kind of things are a little bit up in the air on that front. Uh, Paul, what do you make of all of this at this point? Um, there's a, we're going to be talking a lot about this exclusively about this on the show, but, but what do you make of the entire situation here? Well, first of all, it's good to know that MLS owners are just like us in that they can't hit deadline sometimes, you know, they had their deadline. We'll see. We'll see if they self-imposed deadlines. By deadline. the way. Missed it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can relate. I, I, I think I talked about my Kyle Laren story last week on this show and said it was coming soon. I have continued to miss that own, my own self-imposed deadline on that story. So, um, you know, solidarity with the owners on that one. Um, I, I think that, that today, um, was a, a really telling moment 
for this negotiation. I think you could have interpreted by the initial stance of the league that this was pretty much a cynical offer, that there was way more on the line than the 100 to $110 million in savings that the league claimed, um, that this was not about um, really as much about pandemic savings as it was leveraging uh, the need for savings in a pandemic world into major, major gains in the structure of the CBA by pushing the negotiation to more than a year after the 2026 World Cup and basically ensuring that the players wouldn't participate in any of the gains that were made from that major global event, right? That was all what we could pull from um, and interpret um you know, in, interpret from those those offers and kind of the tone of negotiations. I think today uh, solidified that that thought. Um, you know, I believe that the league looks at the lockout in two ways. I think first it it, it sees it as a potential positive um, to save money in the short term by cutting salary. Um, you know, if you lock players out through May, you don't have to pay them, and when the season comes back, um, you're playing in front of stadiums that have fans in them, right? So it's not a negative in the short term for the league um, to lock players out if they believe that the the lockout would, would be solved in a timely manner. On the back end of that, I think that the league believes that either that they've done a good job of telling their side of the story or they don't really care um, whether or not they have the pretext to do this. Um, I think that, you know, the fact that the union came halfway and the league's reaction was we voted unanimously to lock you out by this time and this date next week um, is indicative of the fact that they're not really here to to compromise. They want that second year. And without that second year, that gives them the real leverage they're looking for, the real gain they are looking for. They don't see a deal. And and that's the reality. And now we know it for sure because they've, they've told us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to backtrack for a second, the reason why the two year versus the one year, why there's a big distinction there, the one year would expire at the end of the 2026 season. You're talking about a period, uh, call it three, four months after the end of the 2026 World Cup. Momentum for the sport is going to be probably at an all time high in the US and Canada at that point. If you're the league, you don't really want to negotiate while on the crest of that wave. Uh, you would much rather let that post-World Cup bump dissipate a little bit and negotiate the following year, a year and a half after the end of the World Cup, when some of that momentum has sort of lessened a little bit, um, and you don't have to negotiate. You would much rather negotiate that if you're the league. So I think that's that's a huge part of this, um, maybe the key part from where I stand. But to your point, Paul, I mean, they don't care about the optics, man. And you know what? Like... It's hard to argue with that stance. Like MLS is not the NFL or the NBA, right? The percentage of people that, all right, let me, let me even take it back a step. The number of people that care about MLS like deeply in general is not very much. I think you can probably call it around a quarter of a million people tops. That's pretty much the average national TV rating that we've seen for the last 10 years. So call it a 250,000 people. Of those 250,000 people, it's probably a not a very high percentage that are super engaged into these CBA talks. And of those people that are super engaged, it's probably only a percentage of whom who are going to change their behavior in terms of how they follow the league because of what's going on in these negotiations. 
So the owners are sort of right to not care about the optics, in my opinion. It's cynical, but they're right. Like, it's a good move. And and once games come back on at whatever point, people will forget about it and just move on and the league can continue apace. And so they sh- they're right to go for whatever games they want. And the other part of this is like... MLS salaries have increased markedly over the last five years, right? Since the CBA negotiation in 2015, six years, I guess. But they're still not at the point where guys aren't living. I don't want to call it paycheck to paycheck necessarily. Some of them, I'm sure, are. No, it's paycheck to paycheck. But, but you know, maybe month to month or they can't extend for more than two months without getting paid. Right. It's not a situation where all these guys have massive nest eggs they can, that they can go back on. And that, you know, it's historically been the big reason why the players haven't had a ton of leverage. And I think it's a little bit less of a part of the story this time around, but it's still a part of the story. And I think that's important to remember, too, as we look at the next week with the league seemingly taking a hard line stance on this two year thing. Um, and are the players going to move? We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this because I, I haven't been watching SportsCenter. But Sam, do you think that SportsCenter has mentioned anything about these negotiations no. to this point? Right. No. So like I that in shocked. itself is just indicative of, of the reality of the world in which MLS operates. You know, for us, you know, and by us, I mean literally us, um, our, our entire universe is yeah, the, we are the world's, to this, right? We are the world's foremost labor negotiation podcast. Right. And, and we see all of people's comments and the, the really the diehard fans, um, who are living and dying with this negotiation and who are being impacted by it. But in, in, when you pull yourself out of that world, you know, that's not the reality. And, and I think that the, the, the owners understand that. And they also, I think, and Sam, I don't know if you feel the same way. I think the league believes that the, the players will cave. And I think that idea, is essentially underlining and underscoring everything that they do in this negotiation. You know, that they believe were like in their mind, I think the worst case scenario is we lock them out for a few months and we don't get exactly what we want in May or June. And we just take this one year extension. We save some money on the short term. We've, we've gained a pretty big concession. Let's not minimize the one year extension, which is now yeah, two years big. extension and move on. But I think in their minds, I believe that their best case scenario is a lockout that gives some short term gains with the players caving over the course of that lockout and getting that second year. And the reason I say that is I do. And believe, then you start the season in like June, right? May or right, June, yeah. you start the season. And I, I, I think that the league, let, let's be clear here. MLS wants to play soccer, right? The the owners do want to play. They want Austin to have their expansion season. They want games to occur, but they want games to occur in front of fans. They want to have games with the least amount of um, financial strain because of, of restricted attendance. And, and they want, you know, they, they could see it as a short-term benefit. Again, I'm not saying that they want a year-long lockout. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But I think in the short term, a lockout doesn't hurt them. It helps yeah, them. Yeah, a stoppage, a stoppage of a couple months. I could totally, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. One thing that we haven't really addressed here and that's been sort of flying under the radar is, is the two-year extension uh, an acknowledgement on the part of the owners that the TV deal that's coming after the 2022 season is not going to be a big jump 
Because like that to me is what this says, right? Along with what you just said about the short term stuff. But when you talk about a lockout in the long term, MLS is a really important juncture where they want to continue on an upward trajectory because of that TV deal and because of the World Cup, right? You still have some time to make up momentum before the World Cup. Time is, time is up in terms of, in terms of that TV deal, right? You need to maximize these next two years to get the maximum revenue. So is this kind of a hedge to say, we don't think this TV deal is going to give us a huge boost of money and we're going to try and recoup because of that. I don't know. I think there's an element of that at play here. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. I think the interpretation has to be that, um, that they are anticipating a TV deal that's not going to have, at the bare minimum, not going to have the gains that they would hope for. And, and, you know, that maybe reaches a point of saying, disappointment right like and and that that's driving this idea of like we have to yeah we have to get as as much as we can on the back end of this deal and we have to get as much of the world cup revenue as we can um because the league does want to keep growing sam like we we talked about this last week they're still spending money right now as they're going through these negotiations saying that man vancouver is spending money right historically cheap vancouver is spending money there was a report yesterday i don't know if it's accurate or not but like that a team was shopping for a young argentinian teenager for with a 14 million dollar price tag um you know they are the, the mls teams are still out there looking for dps they're still out there looking for young money signings you know that that's not gonna stop they're still looking for tam signings and remember at the beginning of this the league said a two-year extension would save 100 to $110 million. Now, we know that that's not true, right? We know that the real reason they want two years is what we've been talking about, the leverage point around the 2026 World Cup, especially. And, and 100 to 110 is probably a low estimate as yes. well. And, but that, that averaged out in math to $536,000 per team per season over the life of the CBA. When we talked about this at the very beginning of this negotiation, we were like, that's one TAM player. That's, that's, the difference in it's it's level not of even a tam player, player right like it's, it's not like, even a it's tam like player. buying like a one and a half million dollar player or a one million dollar player instead of a one and a half million dollar player it's nothing now you take the one year concession from the players and i'm not saying you can directly have that but it's less than five hundred thousand dollars probably much less than five hundred thousand dollars per team per season per season of savings that the owners are threatening to lock out for. And that alone tells you that it's not about a hundred to $110 million that the owners are talking about when they put out their statement, right? The, the real reason, the real thing they're negotiating for is the leverage of altering, fundamentally altering the CBA 
to push these negotiations more than a year after that 2026 World Cup. And the massive advantage that brings, in addition to, once again, potentially and probably syncing up the next media rights deal so that the players can't negotiate off of the next deal, which probably now is being projected as the one where, okay, we need to make the gains off of the World Cup and really make the money. And those two points are so, so, so critical, Sam. And before I pass it off to you on that point, I do want to tee you up for something that I hope you'll you'll get um Yes, silly I never about. get teed up on this show. Tee me up. What are we thinking about? What do we think about the at MLS 2021 Twitter account that just like popped up out of nowhere just to put <laughs> out these statements? Um, I, so a little bit of background. This is like an official MLS account that's not verified. And they put out like basically this is the account that we will be using to communicate all of our CBA communications. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I would imagine there's some legal reason to do this from a new unverified account as opposed to just the MLS account or the MLS. Well, they don't PA want it on the MLS account. They 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 got to project Rosie. The, the, I mean, there's MLS there's account, an MLS but they PR, have the PR account. account, and they put the statement on that today. So yeah, why not so, just use that? I don't I don't know. They want to hide it. Maybe I don't know. Like, I think this account is like liking tweets and stuff too. It's weird. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton of thoughts on that. I'm mostly just kind of confused. Uh, but I don't really have any information, so I'm like not like willing to like go crazy about it. But I mean, to me, this just, this just all goes back. I wrote about this this week. This just all goes back to the fact that this is just a super opportunistic play by owners. They don't need this. They don't. And, and people can be, oh, well, there are going to be big losses this year and they have a right to run the business, um, in a way that makes sense. And okay, sure. They agreed to a deal in June, eight months ago. I don't think people think, thought the pandemic would have extended this long or would have been this bad back in June, but it wasn't an impossible situation. It was something that you could have prepared for. Right. And this goes back, you know, this goes back to that negotiation and the insertion of the force majeure clause and why it was so important. Right. Because it's not like as if MLS can be like, well, we couldn't have projected that 2021 would be a difficult year as well. No, they could have. They absolutely could have. And they probably did. They did. Right? They did. Yeah, and, and and now they they get to rip up the deal and do a new one and try and squeeze the players further. Um and, and that's the part of it to me. It's just like they're not honoring their agreement. And that just feels dirty to me. Now, they have every right to, it seems, right? The players haven't taken any steps to challenge the invocation of force majeure. So we can assume, I guess, that they think it's MLS is within their legal rights to, to invoke it. So fair play on that front. The players agreed to force majeure in June. So that they were party to that deal. They can't complain about it too much. It just feels disingenuous. It feels dirty. And like, that's like my overarching thing about this negotiation. Are the owners, have they taken hits? Did they take hits in 2020? Yes. Are they going to take hits in 2021? Yes. But they agreed to this deal in June, mid pandemic. And now you're sitting here telling me we couldn't have projected this and we need to rip it up and redo it. Sam, that to me is just, it's bogus. But let, let's talk about the, the obvious thing here too. In June, when they did this, we were in the middle of a pandemic that the league, no one could have anticipated. What happened in 2020 was worse. I think we can all agree that 2020 was worse than what 2021 will be for Major League Soccer, right? There's no MLS's back bubble and the expense that comes from that. There's going to be stadiums with partially 
you know, partially filled with sta- with fans. I mean, shoot, we're watching it happen right now in the NBA and the NFL. So we know that to be a fact. So it's not going to be as bad from that perspective, right? I don't know that we can say that with certainty, just given the new strains. I mean, the the, vac- the vaccine the vaccine is coming online and everything. But like, I don't know. I do think it's kind of folly to predict what's going to happen with COVID. I think we can safely say it's better right now than it was in 2020 financially from a perspective of what the owners took on. Like, Sure. I think that's fair. And yet they are asking for more of a concession from the players than what the players gave up last year, right? So the players gave up a year extension, flattening the the salary cap by a year and a 5% pay cut, right? And a 12.5% reduction in revenue share. All of that was given up. And this time the the, the owners are saying, no, we need two years extension and – that also includes pushing back the terms of the deal one more time. So the only difference here is the difference between a whole year extension versus 5% pay cut in one year. It's not even close, the difference between those two things. It's not even close because we know that the the, the league also asked for another 12.5% reduction in 2024 of, of the revenue share. So, you know, let's be real here. This is This is not even a... In a way, it's almost not even a rational offer when you compare it to what the what the players conceded last time. And that's not even mentioning that the players conceded putting the force majeure into the CBA. So I just don't yeah, understand. Which, that was the huge thing last it time was around. Huge. Because a lot of players were pretty happy with that deal because it was minimal pay cut, right? But I don't know if... I, I, I think the people who were engaged with it and on the bargaining committee and the exec board of the MLSPA fully understood what it meant. With the force majeure, I don't know that every every player around the league fully grasped the the impact that that might have. Um, and and let's be real, Paul, this could pretend we could do this again next year. One hundred percent. Like we could do this again next year potentially. Um, and and so that's something that the league will never take out. This is going to be like in perpetuity. And I think when the union looks back on that, maybe they didn't have much of a choice. I don't know. I wasn't in the room. It's not my my paycheck at stake in a lockout. Right. Um, but I think when they look back at that, it, it, they'll look back on it like RSL looks back on permanently trading in an international roster spot is something that doesn't feel like that big of a deal in the moment. But years down the road, you're like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> um, you know, like like that's sort of the analogy there. And I don't know, man, like I've, I'm, I'm wondering and I'll tee you up here, like given the league statement today. Do you think they give it all off of their last offer? Do you think they make any changes? No, I don't. I think they hold firm and, you know, maybe they make some kind of concession. Like maybe they, they you know, like last time it was funny because they, what they did was they actually increased the salary cap increase from 26 to 27 in their last offer, which means they, they decreased their financial gain in their last counter offer, right? Maybe they, they accept some things that the union said, like, oh, we'll expand free agency and we will flatten the cap, which also helps us, but we, we still need that one more year, right? And I just the think thing. they're gonna, 
they'll have to give if they want that other extra year, right? You would think. Yeah, I mean, there's going to have to be some kind of offer of what, you know, maybe they they reinstate those revenue share things, especially if they feel like it's not going to be huge gains in the media rights deal. Because don't forget that that's not a straight revenue share, right? That revenue share doesn't kick in until after a hundred million profit above what they were making before. And then it's a, and then it's 12 and a half percent of that, right? So, yeah. So, you know, I think like, Look, I think ultimately, man, like this comes back to one idea and and that's the idea that they don't believe that the players will hold firm. And and I don't I hesitate to even say this out loud because as I don't know, I just feel weird about it. But I think we're reaching this point where like, you know, a work stoppage is a positive for the owners in the sense of them saving money. But I think it ultimately would become a positive for the players in showing solidarity and showing a willingness to not back down on something that is fundamentally altering the future of the, of the players association in this sport. Like to not capitalize on hosting a world cup in 2026, to not have participation in how to best take advantage of those gains to Already to already essentially be conceding how much you can capitalize off of the next media rights deal and probably the next one after that. I just think like at a certain point, the players have to have a breaking point, right? They have to have a, a place where they do what you do right now with your stock portfolio and that's hold the line. Diamond strong hands. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. My my portfolio of 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 Doji Coin and AMC is it's super robust. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, Paul, it just goes back to the point that I was making initially. the The players don't have enough money to wait out the owners. All right, so let's say they stand firm, right, and they don't move, and they stick to one year, and the league sticks to two. And this time next week, there is a lockout. Okay. It's a cool story, right? It's heartwarming in a sense. The solidarity element of it is like, all right, that's a cool tale of humanity. Um, and the, the little guy sticking together against the big guy. And, and that's all well and good. But what happens in two months when the players need to start getting their paychecks again? Right? And the league is like, okay, cool. Let's extend the CBA by two years. And then what? Do the players just cave then instead of now? Like, and, and the other thing here, Paul, the other thing here, and this is like a pretty technical element of this extension. And this is a question that we've gotten. But when a lockout happens, contracts are effectively suspended, I guess would be the best way to term it. And players become free agents. When a player becomes a free agent, he is eligible to sign outside of MLS. However, there's a big caveat here. And, and maybe this can be challenged. I don't know. Maybe this could go to like the court of arbitration for sport. I don't know. But most leagues around the world, you're not allowed. Well, let me back up. Sorry. Typically, free agents are allowed to sign with clubs at any time during the year, including outside of transfer windows. That is only true, though, if the player became a free agent prior to the close of the preceding transfer window. The transfer window closes on Sunday or Monday in most European countries. If we get to next Thursday and then there's a lockout next Thursday, the players' contracts, they won't they won't have become free agents until after the window closes. So they won't be allowed to sign, it appears, 
in countries like England or Germany or Italy or any of these bigger leagues. So that big kind of leverage point and a way to bridge the gap for some of these players will have been taken off the table, um, at least in part. Some countries have the window open still, but that's that's an element here that can't be ignored. Yeah, I mean, at that point, Sam, you'll probably kick me off this podcast and bring Jeff Reuter on, and this will become allocation disorder with a focus on USL which will suddenly be flooded with MLS players looking to <laughs> to stay fit and stay sharp ahead of the international windows that are coming up in March and June. No, it's a real issue, right? It's a real issue for many, many players, especially the players who are trying to play in, in the European Championship, right? The Euros in the summer. Um, you know, they, they need and to the stay Copa fit. America. But, but and I think the Gold's Copa Cup. America, we have to look at what the dates are of the transfer windows in those companies because I think in those leagues, because countries, think, yeah, yeah, the, those players will probably be able to go back to their home countries and sign. Um, but for the European players, you know, going to Europe on loan or going to Europe on a short term contract to stay fit and stay in your uh, nation's plans, it's a big deal. Um, and yeah, you're right. Maybe they could challenge it. In, in, with FIFA and say, listen, we've been locked out of our contracts. We need to be able to play. And I don't think that FIFA is going to necessarily just side with MLS. Like I, I, we've never really seen MLS's contract structure challenged in, in, with the court of arbitration for sport because the league has very quickly, um, moved, moved along when those challenges come, right? Like I'll, I'll, I think of like the Kyle Laren situation as a, a good example of that when he left and yeah. challenged the option years and, and MLS agreed to sell him for, you know, less than $2 million in order to avoid having that challenged in court, um, internationally. Yeah. And, and that's something so. that you and I both need to look into more is if there is a lockout, if there is a termination of the CBA, would uh, preceding a lockout, uh, can the MLSPA go and challenge the entire structure, right? Can they, can they go after single entity, which is something that's been ruled on in a previous court case? Um, is that a thing that we could see? Could we see the structure of MLS, the fundamental structure of MLS challenged? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it would open up all sorts of possibilities, but, you know, again, I think the league is just betting on, on winning here. Honestly, I think they're betting on winning and, and that the, that the forces of the market are going to stay in their favor. Um, that, that, like you said, that the players can't sustain a long work stoppage and that eventually they'll have to cave in. And there hasn't been a point yet. I don't really think with the league where there was something they really, really, really cared about where they drew the line and then they had to come across that line. Maybe the only, Example would be free agency and creating any sort of sort of sort um, any sort of form of free agency. That might be the one, but you know, yeah, really that not really that not really that big of a deal though. Yeah, it wasn't you know? it wasn't the biggest thing in the world. Now it looks like not the biggest thing in the world, but that was the the big line in 2015, right? So I don't yeah. know. I, I just think that there is a, a group of owners who are um, who are looking at this and saying. Where do we lose in a lockout? Where do we lose in a lockout? Because I don't they, know they, that they they that take. They do. We'll probably write a mean column about them. Maybe another outlet or two will. There will be some Twitter blowback, but yeah. Beyond that, I don't know. It's like not we're gonna not hurt gonna, their gonna, pockets. It's not going to hurt. No, their it'll pockets. it'll help their pockets. Right. right. It'll help their pockets, and that's I'm, important to remember. Um, sorry, I was ahead. just going to say, Sam. Like I feel more 
confident than ever that we're headed towards a work stoppage. The first work stoppage really? with players. I, I just think this is I, – I, I guess I'm giving the union credit to say that they're not going to give the second year by next week. I just don't see that happening. I could see it. Um, I think if there is a work stoppage, it'll be a short one. And I think maybe they get it done so they can start the season mid-April instead of early April. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I could see it not working out next week, but I don't think it would be a super long stoppage. I, I do think they'll come – personally, I think they'll come to an agreement before the deadline next Thursday. Um, and I think they'll get it over the line. But we'll see. Um, I do want to get into some listener questions that we got. Um, we put a call out on Twitter. Thank you to everyone who responded. We're going to try and get to some of those right now. First is from Brad Weigel. Um, Brad asks, who is on the MLS Labor Committee? Uh, that's a great question, Brad. Um, the Labor Committee was referenced in the MLS statement this morning as having unanimously, they were, they were the group that unanimously voted to terminate the CBA and lock the players out if there's no deal reached by, by the new deadline. We don't know. Who's on that committee? Uh, we have a guess. We have asked the league. We're waiting for a response. Um, they have not yet provided one. We, we'll see if they even will. Uh, I'm personally not really, uh, optimistic on that front. Um, I've been told in the past that Clark Hunt, FC Dallas, not Dan Hunt, Clark Hunt, um, Greg Kerfoot of Vancouver, Jonathan Kraft of New England, um, are on it. Uh, I've heard Steve Kaplan from DC is on it. And maybe Ferran Soriano of City Football Group and NYCFC. Um, but we don't know that for 100%. Those are just some of the names that we've heard over the years and recent weeks as well. Yeah. Well, we know Kaplan was on the call last time around in negotiations. Um, so at least as recently as this summer, Kaplan was on the committee. That's um, right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. We, we'll, we'll see if the league uh, answers that question. Um, Jordan Weigrin asks, how confident are we feeling a deal gets done? I kind of just answered that. I think we just answered that. Yeah. So, Jordan, I hope that answered it. Um, I have another one, Paul. Yeah. This is from our friend Jonathan Tannenwald, who covers Philadelphia uh, for the for the Inquirer down there. Covers the union, covers soccer at large. His question, why shouldn't we presume MLS is just doing this for the hell of it? Um Interesting question. He expands on it a little bit um, to say his point is really blowing up MLS at a time when ESPN is trying to get La Liga rights and the Premier League is about to come back on the market. It is is It seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot a little bit here. Why, why should we s presume MLS isn't just doing this for the hell of it? Because it's a pretty big business decision. It's not like these guys don't have money invested in this league. They have significant money invested in this league. I mean, you have owners opening stadiums this year. Um, you know, I think that, I think that they are doing this because they see an opportunity to make real gains that they didn't make in the CBA in February. And I, I think that for the first time in a long time, we were talking about the fact that the players did a pretty good job in negotiations last February and they got pretty good terms on the CBA. And by the end of this, if they were to get two more years tacked on, that means that the players would have agreed to an eight year, essentially CBA, which is crazy. And yeah. And we would have crushed the union for that. And I, I think the owners see an opportunity to, to make what would be an absolutely enormous, enormous gain in, in the fundamental structure of the league by pushing the CBA that far back. That's why they're doing it. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. In regards to the ESPN and and media rights portion of the question, we sort of got at that a little bit earlier. Um, I think MLS probably sees it as irrelevant. Um, the ratings have been so low for so long that it's probably a difficult pitch to to actual you know linear TV. Um, maybe digital is a different ball game. We'll see if they can get a streaming package together, whether that's with ESPN or Peacock or Amazon or Facebook or Wall Street Bets or whoever. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that sort of gets a little bit at the portion of that question, but maybe they're just thinking that the deal isn't going to be that big and this is a hedge against it. Um, here's another question. I like this one. I think the MLSPA offer, this is from Jason Gardman. I think the MLSPA offer was good, not for what they conceded, but in that it made MLS take a stand on what items, item matters most to the league, the length through 2027. So what are the players' biggest priorities to demand in exchange for extending an additional year? More money throughout the life of the deal? Real free agency? That's a really good question. And we don't really know the answer. It's a great question, <laughs> but I don't know that there is something that they could get back that would make it worth it, truly worth it, to to give that year because of what that year gives, if that makes sense. Like, losing that negotiating leverage. I mean, just imagine the difference yeah. in the tone of negotiations if it's coming five months after the World Cup with all of the gains that are going on for MLS, all the momentum they're feeling of the sport, and they have to negotiate 
with the concern of a work stoppage over their shoulder, they, they're not going to be able to, they can't, they can't have a work stoppage at that point in time, right? Versus if you're negotiating a year and five months after the end of the World Cup and you've already made those gains and you've made changes, you've probably added young money part two and you've added DP number four and you've added yeah. all these buckets and the of owners discretionary have increased money. spending and, unilaterally and, at their discretion without the involvement of the players union. Right. So, you know, I think if they were to concede, then yeah, you would need to, I think you need to see significant gains in, in salary structure. Maybe the deregulation of allocation money has been a really big thing for them to just get rid of allocation, to get rid of, um, some of these, these areas of discretionary funds. But I just don't think, I don't know, man. I just don't think there's anything there that would, that would equal that loss of leverage. I, I agree with you that I don't think there is anything that would equal it, but they, that doesn't mean they can't, they, they have to try for something, right? Even if they know it's going to be an L on the whole, right? They have to try for something. I think they showed us a little bit. The offer that they made included liberalizing free agency in 2025 and 2026, which would be the last two years of the deal that the union proposed. Um, they changed it from 24 years old and five years of experience to be eligible to 23 and four. It didn't even seem like the league was willing to, to budge on that. I would imagine though, if they do a deal for with a two year extension, that there, there would be some movement on that front. Just be, but the league will drag it out, right? The league will drag it out. They'll be like, and at the end, they'll be like, fine, we'll give this to you. Fine. And like, make it seem like this big thing that they're giving up when it's really not, not that big of a thing. Um, so I don't know. I think, but I think the union sort of showed us what the, what the priority might be there. And then maybe, maybe getting some additional increases in the jump between 2026 and 2027 in terms of the salary budget. But there's just like, I, I don't know. There's just like not a lot to really shoot for. Like, they already the union already agreed to change the revenue sharing structure again. They agreed to that in the last offer that they made because the, the league proposed that in the first offer. That part wasn't reported, but according to what a source told me yesterday, that they that structure was changed by the league and the union agreed to do so. So I mean, I don't know. This whole thing the, the union tried to meet the league in the middle and the league basically laughed and said, No, we're not moving. And that's where things are right now. I feel like there was also like I, I I'm glad you said something that triggered a thought in my mind, which is just like the idea like in the language in this latest release from the league, like we offered a very simple solution, no structural changes to the to the CBA, the details. Of Who the cares? Who just, cares how just, simple it is? Just tossing two years onto the end of it, like it was like talking down to us, right? Like talking down to people, being like, "This is so simple to understand for you guys." versus the league or sorry the player side which is changing multiple things within the the cba in order to try to both give things back in exchange for getting something in return that's not a financial change right and i think that you know these are these are the concepts that we're talking about like like if you're going to try to find gains as players in exchange for adding years on, you're going to have to really, really alter some of the fundamental parts of this CBA and, and kind of blow things up and tear things up a little bit. And maybe the best place would be that revenue share because the way that that was a pretty big gain for them to get any sort of revenue share into the CBA back in February, but it was a really, really restricted 
gain. It was like that first. But they've already agency, made concessions right? on it in this negotiation. Right, but, but I'm saying if you're going to give up the year, maybe you go back the other way and you say, look, we're not giving up the other year without removing the restrictions on revenue share. The revenue share begins in these years and, and the, the, the league gets or the players get 25 percent, you know, off the bat, not after a hundred million in games, because that, that yeah. revenue share does feel like 28 and eight did, right? Like very underwhelming in the grand scheme, but what it's meant to be is a first step, right? And then the next CBA, right. it's the next step. And that's why pushing back the CBA by three years, you're delaying that next step, which is a much you're delaying everything. Game. You're delaying everything. Yeah. Um, here's one from Tim Katz. And we sort of spoke to this earlier, but we can speak to it a little more directly. I think. Are the owners willing to write off the entire season if necessary to push the next CBA negotiations back after the 2027 season? I don't think so. I think everyone wants to play. I think the owners want to play. Uh, and, and look, you'd be really, I mean, again, Austin built a new stadium that they're supposed to open. They have all this momentum that will just disappear just like that. Boom, gone if you sit out I the whole year. I don't know that that's true, though. I mean, Sam, it's not. I mean, all of the buildup to this moment. I, I remember so how much the, the buildup will just be. The buildup will just be longer for that. Austin, and they'll still have a first season next year. It just you know it, it makes things really difficult. I don't. I don't know that I agree. I just think that I. I don't think the the owners want to sit out a full year. I. I, I, I don't think that's the intention. I'm with, I don't think I'm with you desire. on there. I'm with you on that. I just like so. No, I don't think they're willing to write off the entire. I think season. it's it's hard to lose momentum if you don't have that much momentum to begin with. That's what I would say. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't think that any of the owners are willing to write off the whole season. I, I agree with you on that. Um, another one, and this is one that we've gotten in some way, shape, or form from many people. This is from Tim at TWalt6. Could this affect new signings joining the league? Will MLS be less attractive to players if there is a long lockout? Um, if there is a long lockout? Yes, it will be less attractive to players. If it's a short stoppage, no, I don't think it will have much of an impact on international signings. The league is still viewed as a place where you can come and you can secure your paychecks. You can secure the bag. You know, it's coming every two weeks. Obviously, a lockout would affect that. Um, but a lot of these other countries have sometimes clubs have issues meeting payroll. We've seen that with Derby County in the championship in England recently. Um, MLS has security that other leagues don't have in that way. And money talks, you know, if, if an MLS team is offering a greater salary to an international player, um, whether that is a, a star player like Zlatan or a young 20 year old from Colombia or Argentina, um, that matters. And if they can get more here than anywhere else, then they'll still come here. Um, so that's my overall take on it. But a long lockout, I think would have an impact at least for a little while, but eventually I think the league would rebound from it without too much issue. Yeah. Here's a question I want to make sure we get to um, from Chris Kilroy, which is, are there factions within the ownership groups, yeah. clubs that want to spend more aggressively and others who are really not into investing much at all? Or is ownership aligned by, um, you know, league the league growth trajectory? And I'm going to jump in first, Sam, real quick, just to say, I think there's two different distinct answers to this question. But Sam, let's start with you. How would you approach uh, answering this question? I guess. Yeah. So I think this is something that comes up every time there's a CBA negotiation, right? And in a normal CBA negotiation that we saw last February, pre-pandemic, I would say, yes, absolutely. There are different factions and they have to fight those battles. And that's where the real CBA is decided. I think I wrote an article saying that last winter. I'm pretty sure. Um, in a CBA negotiation like this, where it's less of a full negotiation and more of a modification, 
I would say that extreme exists on a much smaller level or that dynamic exists on a much smaller level. I think, I mean, I don't know this for sure. I've asked people, the people that I've asked, they don't know. Um, I would imagine they're pretty unified on this front, um, uh, on this round of negotiations. Do you have anything different or anything additional yeah. there? I mean, there certainly is a divide and I, I wrote a big piece on it way back, um, in 2018, um, but of owners and how they see growing this league, right? How they see the, the rate at which they should grow, the spending that they should put into the league in order to grow at that rate. Yes, definitely factions, definitely influences, um, decisions. These get played out on the committees all the time. And, and that's, you know, that's the reality of this league. And it's not old versus new. It's not an accurate way to put it. There are plenty of new owners who don't want to spend. And there are a few old owners who do want to spend. However, when it comes to CBA negotiations, I believe that the owners, especially in a, in a discussion like this, are incredibly unified. You'll, ne- I don't think, no, I don't think you definitely will never hear an owner talk out. Um, out of out of turn or out of line. They, well, we've heard it, we've heard it once, but that owner is not really an owner anymore. Yeah. So, so it just it's not it's not going to happen. I mean, there, there's a, a six figure fine associated with talking about CBA, and I think they they are businessmen who know that having a a united front in these discussions is is the most important part of of these negotiations. So, um, I don't think that the difference in opinion of how to grow impacts the the strategy of how to negotiate with the the PA. Paul, there's one question I want to close on. I think you know what it is. Are there is there anything else you want to get to before we get there? No, just this question. That's all I all want. Right. This is from a listener who shall remain nameless for the time being. He knows who he is. Paul, can you find out or determine the exchange rate of Dogecoin to Garber Bucks? What you got? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely when you look at the trajectory of Dogecoin right now, I think it's very similar to the early days of TAM when TAM was still tradable and it was very rare um, and and speculative. No one really knew the true value of TAM at that time. So I would look back at the exchange rate of TAM to GAM in 2015 to get a real idea of the exchange rate of Doge to, to Garber Bucks. Doge is currently trading, by the way, at, at four cents per Doge. Uh, that's down from last night by about three and a half cents. A little disappointing there. Um, but hey, what can I say? You're in it Hold for the, the long line. run, baby. You're in it for Hold the long the line. run. <laughs> Can't worry about what it did overnight, baby. <laughs> I am here for the memes and that is it. And on that note, I think that does it for our show. <laughs> Sam's going to go get some Arby's and, and continue to monitor Dogecoin. Yes. Uh, eat Arby's, buy Dogecoin. We're taking a rocket to the moon. Um, we'll see if MLS is on that same path or we'll see if we have a work stoppage at this time next week. At any rate, I am Sam Stasekel. He is Paul Tenorio. This is Allocation Disorder, the world's foremost labor negotiations podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>